Lucas on Life. Hello and welcome to Lucas on Life. I'm Jeff Lucas, now recovering from a nasty virus, so please forgive the somewhat nasally tones. According to a report issued this week, Christians now account for less than half the UK population for the first time in census history. The Office for National Statistics results show that 46.2% of the population, that's around 27 million people, described themselves as Christian in 2021. That marks a 13.1 percentage point decrease from 59.3% back in 2011. The Archbishop of York, the Most Reverend Stephen Cottrell, said it was not a great surprise that there's a declining number of Christians in the UK but reminded us to remember that Christianity is still the largest movement on earth. And he added, it's not a great surprise that the census shows fewer people in this country identifying as Christian than in the past, but it still throws down a challenge to us, not only to trust that God will build his kingdom on earth, but also play our part in making Christ known. So that's what I'd like us to think about tonight, making Christ known, the E word, evangelism. If we follow Jesus, there's a call upon all of our lives to make Jesus known through our lives and yes, our words too. So let's consider that challenge here on Lucas on Life on Premier Christian Radio. He has no name, this man. I have him tagged in my mental filing cabinet under T for train man. We have met but twice. His large frame ages him at somewhere between 30 and 50 and he lives somewhere in the south of England. He is red-faced and rotund, he is not gifted in the art of shaving, and he isn't at all on friendly terms with soap. He wears his belt askew, and sadly, his flies very undone, even in the chill of winter. We first met a year ago. I'd planned my railway journey with meticulous, even military precision. My bag was overstuffed with dog-eared papers, laptop computer, cell phone and other accessories of pressure. Determined to make the best use of time, I'd even visited the gents prior to boarding the train, thus saving me time and exempting me from the need to hold my breath and fight my way into the putrid toxic zone, otherwise known as the train toilet. I was feeling alive, efficient and quite frankly, fairly spiritually attuned. Only the night before, I'd experienced a rather powerful encounter with God, during which I'd affirmed, I mean really, really affirmed, my desire to be more openly evangelistic in my personal life. I wanted to make Jesus known more. I opened the laptop lid and punched on, and suddenly train man climbed into the train and sat down opposite me, although there were many empty seats. I stared intently at the computer screen, which was still blank. The computer was still starting, but he started immediately. He apparently engages everyone he meets in avid conversation as if they were old friends. How strange that in our techno-lonely culture, a willingness to socialize should seem to be a sign of strange behavior. He started, unfazed by my staring obsession with the still wretchedly blank screen. No, nice day, isn't it? Makes a change to see some sunshine. Is this the Victoria train prelude for him? He plunged clumsily into my life with both huge feet. What are you doing? He demanded, a warm smile softening the abruptness of the question, a sudden display of crooked teeth. I'm writing an article about Christianity, I replied, 
feeling an immediate rush of smugness that I'd lined up with all of the martyrs of the faith in my bold affirmation. You don't believe all that stuff, do you? He shot back, no nervous trepidation in his voice. With one eye on the screen and one eye on train man, I confirmed that I did believe in the Jesus stuff, and with a deep breath, I inquired as to why he didn't. I didn't really want to know, just to be honest. I wanted to work. And for the next 20 minutes, he told me about his spirituality, about his feeling that Christians have no right to claim exclusive rights to God. The laptop beep and my mobile phone rang twice, but he hardly paused for breath. Worthing Station came and he went. But after getting out of the train, he came back to yell a few more of his jumbled thoughts through the open window, loudly but kindly. And then as the train inched and shuddered away, he stood and waved me goodbye, like a farewell for an old friend. I forgot about Train Man until yesterday. I had spoken about evangelism at a church. I am not ashamed of the gospel, was the text from the first chapter of Romans. And then I got on the London train, animatedly engaged in a conversation with a professional lady, in publishing actually, who was bound for a business meeting in East Grinstead. East Grin, actually. We talked back and forth about doing up houses and builders and living in the lovely south of England and the like. And then at another station, in step train man, his belt position just below his breastbone and his open fly impossibly hugely gaping. He didn't recognize me, perhaps because of countless hundreds of conversations since our last meeting, but he greeted me and the lady bound for grin like old friends. During the next 20 minutes, he informed me about his gallstones and the medication his doctor had given him and would I take methadone, and he showed me his brand new ivory yin-yang ring, surely worth a lot, but picked up for a mere fiver from a mate, which was amazing seeing as ivory was a precious metal, wasn't it? The compartment filled with the musty, sour smell of an unwashed body. The lady headed for grin, wrinkled her nose and scowled her disapproval, but train man just talked on, and I urged the train onward towards Worthing with a prayerful whip. Train man looked into my eyes, and his own quizzical, smiling eyes seemed to reach down into my soul, as if he knew that he was an inconvenience, an oddball, as if he knew that I would quite like him to go away. He couldn't be an angel, could he? Showing up as he does every time I wax eloquent or seriously pray about evangelism, a grubby, unwashed angel with gallbladder problems and a methadone dependency, a seraphim with a yin-yang ring and a heavenly disinterest in fly buttons and toothbrushes. No, he's probably not an angel. He is Jesus, according to Jesus. Giving him a cup of cold water or the time of day is like giving the same to Christ, according to the gospel. Of course, in that sense, the lady headed to East Grinstead is Jesus too. Bias to the poor does not permit us to be prejudiced against the rich. Everyone needs the gospel. And so we continued to talk back and forth, train man and I, and Worthing came again and he went again. No farewell wave this time. And as the train jolted and shuddered its way to London, I wondered what the world would be like if every Christian on earth treated every other human being as if they were Jesus himself. Surely then we would make a great start on making Jesus known. As we're thinking about the challenge 
to make Jesus known in a country that no longer considers itself majority Christian, I find myself bumping into confrontational evangelists. I recently took a tube journey, which included a chance encounter with a loud herald of the gospel. As I lined up to get my ticket, a brother who was seriously challenged in the Mola department came down the queue. Who's a believer here? He hissed, quickly adding, there's heaven and there's hell. Choose Jesus. He clutched a folder which contained gaudy medieval portrayals of both destinations. He opened the folder and flicked quickly through plastic-covered snapshots of sinners being barbecued forever and poked around with pitchforks. What's it to be then, he shouted, heaven or hell? A nervous lady said she only wanted to go to Upminster. I fled. And then it happened again recently in a local shopping centre. A small grey man stood ramrod straight with his right arm held aloft. His gloved hand defiantly clenched a huge placard. I sneaked to look at his poster. Repent ye, screamed the thick Gothic text. The end is nigh. I cast my eyes downwards again, hoping to hurry past the brave little man, but it was not to be. His was a multimedia presentation, placard and voice. It was a big, fearful boom from one so slight. The Lord is not mocked, he thundered. Hell is a reality. Turn from sin today. My head down, rush past strategy, failed dismally. He caught my eye, and a laser beam of penetrating interrogation shot into my soul from his direction. You, sir, where will you spend eternity? I wasn't in the mood for a warm, brotherly conversation at 300 decibels, and I didn't have a poster, so I mumbled, heaven, thank you, and fled for cover into a shop. There I felt safe again, but somewhat pursued by questions, and not questions about my eternal destination. As I peered out of the window at the grey man who was now barking at another terrified shopper, a blanket of unease shrouded me. He was undeniably brave, standing out in the cold with his dog-eared poster, but was he wise? Was this provocative style of his really bringing any good news to people, or did it just repel passing shoppers like a swift, apocalyptic kick in the teeth? As I rambled absent-mindedly around the shop, looking for absolutely nothing at all, I searched deeper into my own concerns and questions about evangelism. With all of our seeker-friendly, be-culturally-relevant, bring-good-news-not-bad approaches, we must face the fact that most of us Christians feel intimidated, uncomfortable, and unsure about the best way to effectively share our faith with people. I've had brief flirtations with just about every evangelistic approach there is, I went through a phase where I really felt that I was doing God and God's world a massive favor as I buttonholed people with my message, eager to capture as many salvation scalps as possible. I went through a phase when I really felt that I was doing God and God's world a massive favor as I buttonholed people with my message, eager to capture as many salvation scalps as possible, eager and keen to talk to them whether or not they had any desire to listen. But we can also swing wildly to the other extreme, where we actually go quiet, where we live out the good news in our communities, happy that we're being salt and light, but never actually mentioning anything about Jesus in the process. We congratulate ourselves on our cringe-free evangelism. Any outsiders think that we're nice and even rather cool, but then they never get to meet the Jesus who died and lives to save them. We run the risk of becoming evangelical liberals, do-gooders without a reason or explanation for our goodness. 
My bookshelves are crammed with books telling me the right way to do evangelism. But I just know that if I weren't a Christian, I wouldn't want to be somebody's project. I wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of a monologue where I was barely given room to respond. And I wouldn't want to be told that my views were going to be used in a survey which didn't actually exist. The survey being a made-up ruse as an excuse for conversation. I wouldn't want to be patronized, press-ganged or threatened, interrogated or intimidated or made to feel that I know nothing about life. And so, as we consider the challenge to make Jesus known, let's know that we are called to live kindly, graciously, salt and light, respectfully listening to others, but also speaking up and sharing the news that we've discovered for ourselves, the marvelous news of the Christian gospel. As you and I make ourselves available to Jesus this week, we can truly shine for him a light on a hill so desperately and urgently needed in a culture that so needs to hear and see the good news. By his spirit, let's do it. So we've been considering that report, which announced the sad news, really, that Christianity is now a minority religion in the UK. Let's not just wring our hands in frustration, but join our hands in cooperation and prayer in our local churches, in our ordinary lives, to make Jesus known. See you next week. Lucas on Life.